Hey, welcome to another edition of the College Wealth Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Khan, Senior Editor of the College Wire. Find all my work on collegesportswire.usatoday.com. With me, as, uh, as always, on your screen to my right, uh, your right, my left, Tyler Natuno from LSU Tigers Wire. Uh, Tyler, this week we're not doing any Power 5 conference. We're going to dive in and talk some group of five. You know, we got to give those guys some love, too. But before we get there, we do have some Power 5 business to discuss. College Game Day has come out and announced where they're going. Week 1, Battle of the Carolinas in Charlotte, North Carolina versus South Carolina. And frankly, I think it's a good matchup. You know, at, at first I was like, I don't know about this game being the featured one. I mean, it's a good matchup. Two former five-star quarterbacks, Drake May, Spencer Rattler. I almost said Sanders. Wrong one. Uh, they both transferred into the SEC, so – uh, Spencer Rattler, Greg May. I, yeah, I think it's a good matchup. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, um, obviously, I mean, I can sell you on this one pretty easily. I mean, obviously, a guy in Drake May who, you know, maybe going to win the Heisman this year versus Spencer Rattler and a South Carolina team that I think everyone sort of expects is going to take at least some sort of leap forward this year. So either that's going to be an incredible game or someone's going to have their preseason narrative pretty much shattered on day one. So either way, it'll be fun. Um, and yeah, before we recorded, I was like perusing through the schedule on Saturday. I think that is probably the best game on Saturday. There are some really good matchups this that weekend, but they're all, you know, on Thursday or Sunday, you know, Thursday, we got Florida at Utah. Sunday, we got LSU and Florida State in Orlando, which I think is probably the best game of the week. Um, and then even on Monday, you've got Clemson and Duke, which I think could be a really interesting game. Um, but yeah, if you're looking yeah. at the Sunday night games or the Saturday night games, that's probably the best one. You know, it's interesting. Here's a narrative people probably didn't think about. Drake May is going to attempt to avoid being Spencer Rattler. We all remember what he did his redshirt freshman season at Oklahoma and fell off the wagon shortly thereafter. So he's going to avoid being the next Rattler. But we'll see if Drake May can come out on top against Rattler uh, in the Battle of the Carolinas. Uh, Moving on to our next topic here on the College 12 Pack, we have Pac-12 media deal. Is it ever going to happen? I feel like this is the biggest joke in college sports right now. Uh, when, when you look at, they keep saying it's close, and then they are pressing for it, pressing for the information of Pac-12 Media Day. Nothing. So, honestly, you, you've got to have something. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining because honestly, you've got nothing. So just say it's not done yet. Quit telling you it's imminent. It's imminent, and, and we're sitting there wondering. Okay, so when are we going to know? Yeah, I mean, you kind of have to respect the the efforts they've made to, to put a positive spin on this. Um, you know, they didn't get the deal done. First of all, let's just back up for a second, because I think everyone thought this deal would be done a long time ago. Um, you know, the idea of it pushing up into Pac-12 media days was not really even on anyone's radar. Uh, we didn't think it would take this long. Obviously, they couldn't get a deal done earlier this summer. It's dragged on. They couldn't even get it done before Pac-12 media days, which like when we talked about that a week or two ago, like obviously that was not an ideal situation because that's going to overshadow all the conversation. Now, they've tried to spin it. You know, they've tried to say, you know, oh, we want the focus to be on football this week and that's why we're not announcing anything. Okay, man. I mean, we'll see when you finally get that deal done. I mean, you've apparently got an offer on the table from the CW. I mean, Apple TV. Yeah, you're not going to get as much money on your media deal as the Big 12 did a couple months ago. I think that's pretty much a a guarantee at this point. So, And, and, you know, the lack of this media deal is really seems to be the main hang up when it comes to potential expansion. I mean, obviously, we'll get into this more later 
in the show, but San Diego State not joining the Pac-12, at least imminently. Um, would they be if, you know, a media deal was done? Perhaps uh, maybe that something will get done then. But, yeah, I mean, in the meantime, this is a bad look. You know, Commissioner George Klyavkov has said the longer we wait, the better deal we're going to get. They think they have leverage. I don't – I'm not so sure about that, but we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, I feel like all the leverage is uh, in the hands of the four, four other power conferences that have their media deals. Uh, and looking at, you know, maybe they should give Brett Yormark a call and ask him, how do you market this thing? Because he didn't have a big-time program, so to speak. You know, no Texas, no Oklahoma, still got a massive deal. Uh, he got his guys paid, so maybe he should uh, give him a call. All right, but let's get into the group of five because that's really what we came to talk about today. Uh, there's There's a lot of teams out there, I think, that deserve some recognition, some you know, we're going to give them some time here. We're going to give them some air time. Uh, and really, I think when you look at some of the Pac-12 teams, let's – or Pac-12, I'm sorry, group of five teams, uh, let's start with a team that beat a Pac-12 team last year, uh, Tulane Green Wave. I mean, you really have to like Michael Pratt, the quarterback. Uh, you know, I, I think they're a fantastic program, uh, you know, uh, in New Orleans. I mean, so it's in Louisiana, Southern football. I mean, former member of the SEC, but – uh, you know, recently that AAC had their media day and, and they picked them number one in the media poll. So uh, this is a team that there's going to be a lot of eyes on them. Yeah, really, really, really impressive what Willie Fritz has done at Tulane. I mean, you know, obviously a program that does have some history, you know, was in the SEC, but not a lot of history when it comes to football right. success, at least in the last like 50 or so years. So what he's doing is pretty unprecedented. Um, and, you know, this isn't – I don't want to frame this as if this team's, like, completely running it back with the one that won the Cotton Bowl last year um, because it's not. You know, there's a lot of changes on this roster. But you are keeping continuity in some of the places where it matters the most. You know, obviously, you mentioned Michael Pratt, one of the best – arguably the best group of five quarterback in the country last year. You know, a guy that maybe could have gotten drafted, almost certainly could have made it the jump to the Power Five in the transfer portal if he wanted to. He didn't. He's staying there. Willie Fritz, another guy that maybe could have made that jump, you know, was in the mix of the, for the Georgia Tech job. Didn't get that. You know, he's sticking around. You lose Ty J. Spears, your running back, great running back. Um, but you do still return a lot of pieces there. You know, you return a couple of guys that had, you know, some promising seasons. Again, you lose your top two receivers, but you also bring back some production too. And you also add, you know, a really talented transfer from Louisiana Lafayette in, uh, in uh, Dante Fleming. So there's pieces here. You know, I think to me, and, and, and I think it's worth remembering that this is an American conference that has lost teams. You know, a lot of the comp- competitive teams in this conference have moved on to the Big 12. You know, there's no more UCF in this conference. There's no more Cincinnati in this conference. There's no more Houston in this conference. So I think to me, when I look at, you know, the, the lineup in this league this year, I, to me, it's Tulane, UTSA, and then everyone else. Um, I think both those teams are kind of the ones to beat here. And Tulane's the defending champion. Yeah, Tulane, I'm with you. But let's talk about UTSA. You brought him up. Jeff Trailer, former Texas high school football coach, won a couple of national champions or high school state champions uh, out there in East Texas at Gilmer, Texas. Uh, you know, he knows the landscape of Texas. And he's got a quarterback coming back for a fifth year in Frank Harris, a guy who's very uh, experienced. So when you look at the two teams that are really ranked at the top and you look, they got nine First place votes in the media poll coming in second to Tulane. UTSA, very talented program. Uh, you know, Trailer's done a fantastic job of just taking them to the next level. 
Um, a very young program, really, if, if you think about it. They've only been around a little over a decade. Uh, but, you know, you look at what they've got under Trailer Harris. Uh, I think the Roadrunners, uh, watch out for them. Me, me. Yeah. I mean, I think there's kind of this perception that it's not hard, like that a group of five program can have a lot of success in Texas, especially when it's in a big metro area like UTSA is. In practice, I'm not sure that actually really ends up being the case. I mean, I think when you look at like North Texas, you know, that program in the DFW area, uh, I don't know if they've had the success that you would expect they would. But what Trailer's done at UTSA really is, I think, the blueprint for all these programs right now. I mean, a guy that, you know, uh, not to not to rub salt in the wound, but I mean, am I correct in saying, Patrick, that if Jeff Trailer wanted to be the head coach at Texas Tech right now, he probably would be? Um, yeah, I think Tech was interested. Uh, yeah, very much. Uh, but I feel pretty good about uh, yeah. Joey McGuire. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Which point being, this friend, is a, so yeah. But you know, point being, this is a guy that has you know certainly had options to make the jump to a bigger program if he wanted to. He stayed and built at UTSA. We'll see how long that lasts, but I think it's really promising. And you know, they're bringing back Frank Harris, arguably you know another guy that you could argue was one of the best Group of Five quarterbacks in the country last year. And while he's great, and a lot of the talk is around him, which I think is fair, they also return a guy in Kavorian Barnes who had 851 yards on the ground last year. Uh, you know, you do lose a really big piece of your offense in Zachary Franklin, who's transferring to Ole Miss, you know, a guy that had back-to-back thousand-yard years. That's going to be a, you know, that's going to be tough to replace. There's no doubt about that. You know, you bring back the next two guys behind him. You also had a Jugo guy in Willie McCoy, but you lose some production on defense. Like with both these top teams in Tulane and UTSA, like they are not running it back. There are definitely changes and there could be a drop-off, but I still think that they, in terms of what they return and key pieces are both, I think, the teams I'm most interested in in the new look American this year. Uh, the only other one that I would bring up would be SMU, and we'll get into them mm-hmm. uh, in a little bit. But, yeah, you're right. When you look at the top two, you have Tulane. Uh, and then, obviously, like we said, UTSA. What the job the trailer is doing is fantastic. And, and he's a guy that you should watch in the next several years. Um, I don't know how long UTSA can fend off some bigger programs uh, because eventually if a big-name program wants their guy, they're going to take him. Uh, but another team we want to look at, uh, Troy, going into year two under John, Shum- John Shumraw, uh 12-2 and two last year, won the Cure Bowl. Um, when you look at Troy, I mean, they're a program that we've known about. You know, occasionally they pop up and they beat at LSU at Death Valley. Uh, You know, they can beat an Alabama program every once in a while. Uh, But looking at what the job that he did in year one, he had to have a lot of people excited about what's going to happen in year two uh, there in in Alabama. Yeah. I mean, like you said, a program that has definitely had success, you know, not, not, it hasn't been around too long and, and has really kind of just intermittently been there, but I think they kind of went to a new level next year. They went 12 and two, uh, won the conference. And what's really interesting about Troy is I feel like there's kind of this stereotype that to you know, be successful at the group of five level, you kind of just have to have this like overpowering offense. That's not how they won their games last year. This was an elite defensive football team. It really stood in contrast to how the rest of the Sunbelt, you know, plays football. When you look at, you know, teams like coastal running their wild, you know, shotgun triple option and stuff like that. It, it, I think, what what Troy did was really impressive. And I think to me looking, I, I think they could be the favorite to repeat again this year. To me, it's them or South Alabama, a team that we're going to talk about, you know, in just a second. 
Um, and I think it's really hard to talk about one of those teams without talking about the other. I think there's so many similarities, you know, with them being in the same state, recruiting similar players, kind of being on similar trajectories. Um, but, I, you know, I think when I look at this conference, like I said, I think Coastal, you know, losing Jamie Chadwell to Liberty, they bring back Grayson McCall, but I still think that they're probably poised for a little bit of a drop-off. We kind of already started to see that last year. And, and J- James Madison, who's probably the best team in that Eastern division, is uh, still not postseason eligible. So, you know, I think that when I look at this conference, to me, Troy looks like the team to beat once again. I think John Summerall is a guy that will probably be an SEC coach one of these days. Oh, and by the way, as much as we talk about their defense, they also bring back an 1,100-yard rusher in Kamani Vidal. So. It sounds like they've got a lot of things going for him there, Ed Troy. Uh, and and we'll, he might be in the SEC coming in, you know, in the near future. Talk about a guy who was in the SEC, who's not now, Arkansas State, Butch Jones. Hello, sir. And uh, we're highlighting you for a very bad reason because uh, you might be on your way out. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you look at, you know, Arkansas State under Butch Jones, not great. The numbers are awful. Um, they're coming off their third straight losing season. That hasn't happened since Steve Roberts. First three years that Arkansas State was 14-22. and 22. Um, They're 9-26 and 26 the last three seasons. I mean, they went through a run of success. Hugh Freeze, Gus Malzahn, uh, Blake Anderson, Brian Harson. What's going on with Blitz Jones? Maybe he's not the guy that they thought he was. Uh, he might need to go back to the Nick Saban school of wayward coaches because I don't think he learned anything. Yeah, that one, just the way that, that the trajectory of that one has played out has been pretty strange. I mean, obviously not much success at all. They took a slight leap last year from two wins to three. But, I mean, you're 5-19 and 19 in two years. He's in trouble if they don't take a leap. And I think – this one has just been surprising because like you mentioned, they've been such just a, like a factory for good head coaches taking a leap to, you know, a better job. Uh, and I think we kind of just were under the impression that this was a pretty turnkey program. It doesn't look like it under Butch Jones. And, you know, this is a league that's getting better. They're falling behind in it. I, I don't know if they're really going to get a lot better. I mean, they added a transfer quarterback in JT Shrout, a veteran guy played at uh, Tennessee and Colorado previously, but like, I don't know if that really moves the needle that much to me. Like this is a team that needs to take a leap very badly. And I don't really think that there's much reason to think they will. Uh, I I don't think they will. In fact, I, I believe because they are falling behind Uh, JT Shroud is not going to save your program. Uh, I think, I think Arkansas state uh, is pulling out that short list once again uh, and looking to see which coach that they can get. Uh, to come in and turn that program back around, uh, back to where it was prior to the arrival of Butch Jones. Uh, but back on a positive note, let's talk about South Alabama. Kane Womack, what a turnaround in year two. Five and seven, went 10 and three. They lose the New Orleans Bowl, but uh, I, I really have to like what's going on there in South Alabama. And, I, and honestly, I think the Jaguars are uh, trending upwards under Womack, and, and they're really a team uh, to watch this year. Just be, can they match the production of last year? Yeah, and that's why I said it's hard to talk about Troy without talking about South Alabama, just because I think their program's in very similar spots right now. And with coaches in Kane Womack and John Summerall that I think both are probably going to be guys that are leading SEC programs uh, sooner rather than later, at least if they continue on the path that they're currently on. 
Um, you know, South Alabama brings back Carter Bradley, a very good quarterback, son of uh, Gus Bradley, by the way, former Jags coach and uh, longtime NFL defensive coordinator. He's, you know, very solid guy, one of the better guys in the conference. He's coming back. They also bring back a very good running back of their own in LaDamian Webb. They have their leading receiver coming back, and they added a productive transfer from Memphis in uh, Javon Ivory. So this is a talented offense. Um, you know, they've got pieces. They bring a lot back, and they added, you know, added extra talent, too. So I think that they have a lot of potential. And I think both of these teams have really, I think, been able to take advantage. I think a couple of years ago, it looked like maybe UAB was the group of five team uh, best poised in the state of Alabama to maybe rise up when they came back from their, you know, uh, their hiatus. But they've kind of fallen off. Um, you know, obviously they're in the American, which now I don't think looks as prestigious as the Sun Belt does, at least at this exact moment. Um, and, you know, I, I think that the Trent Dilfer hire was, uh, was interesting. We'll see. We'll see how that one plays out, but I'm not particularly optimistic. So I think both these teams are really well poised as the top G5 programs in their state. And I think that these coaches, as long as they're still there, are going to be wildly successful. How long that lasts, we'll see. That's true. And I'm glad you brought up the trend deal for things. That was a team that I'm interested in watching just because I want to see if it's a train wreck. I mean, this is the guy who went on national TV and said, you cannot continue to lose games in the NFL and continue to win. Yeah. I mean, not to get too far into the weeds on Dilfer, but like, this is a guy who, you know, comes in, was a high school head coach and brings in a staff, mostly of people that don't really have college coaching experience. Uh, If I'm, Uh, I mean, if that, if that one works out, I don't know anything about this sport. So. Good luck to him. That's all I'm going to say about that. All right. So we're going to go back to the American. We're going to talk about SMU, right? Right in my backyard, Dallas, Texas. Uh, this is a team that got Rhett Lashley, who's coming in uh, second year after replacing Sonny Dykes, who left for TCU, their rival. Uh, so we'll see Lashley versus Dykes this year. That's going to be interesting. Uh, somebody's changing sidelines. Jordan Hudson originally committed to SMU under Dykes, went to TCU, transferred back. Logan Parr transferred in from Texas. Ja'Clyde Clark comes in from Miami. Uh, Jalen Knighton coming in from Miami. So, Ray Lashley has all kinds of talent on the offensive side of the ball. It should be high flying. And no, they don't have Tanner Mordecai anymore. You know, he's gone up to Wisconsin. But uh, Preston Stone uh, is a uh, four-star quarterback, former four-star recruit, uh, highly touted quarterback. I I think his offense is going to be ready to roll, and that's why I'm kind of interested to see how SMU does. They did get three first-place votes. Uh, in the media poll. So we'll see. Somebody believes in them, and uh, they're definitely a team I'm interested in watching this year. Yeah, I think SMU has a strong case is maybe the the most intriguing team um, in this conference. I I think they're just, to me, they're a a huge question mark. I think, you know, you lose Tanner Mordecai, a really talented quarterback who obviously was able to segue the season he had into, you know, a starting uh, job at one of the better Big Ten programs. I, I don't think, though, I don't really have a lot of questions about Rhett Lashley when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. Like, you know, you kind of just have a certain level of expectation that they're going to you know keep that up. This is a really transfer-heavy offense. Like you mentioned, they've added a lot. Uh, it just you always kind of have questions about teams that are built like that, just how it's all going to gel together. But I do, like I said, I, I don't really worry too much about this offense, but they still weren't a great team last year. I think like, like we kind of talked about earlier outside of when you're looking outside of the, the UTSAs and the two lanes in this conference, 
I would say SMU is probably the next up in that group that I would say if one of those two, you know, if either of those teams disappoints this year, maybe SMU is the one that steps up and, and, and gets to the conference championship game. But that takes a lot of projecting, I think, just because of, of how many questions we have about this team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it is. It's a lot of projection. And uh, I just feel like with the offensive system, that Lashley runs, it's a little more plug and play than maybe some other programs have. Uh, sure. I, but I, re- I really like, you know, Stone's been there. You know, he's been in the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he understands what he's being asked to do. So I feel a little more comfortable because he has been there in practice. Um, and, you know, and obviously I think, you know, Jordan Hudson's the guy who can be talented. I think he's a guy that uh, can really do some things for this offense. Uh he didn't really get the opportunity at TCU, and maybe that was just some of it because he's a freshman, some because, well, they just couldn't get him on the field. Uh, so we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, coming up next, let's talk about James Madison. Uh, really look at this program. Last year was their first year in the fun belt. Um, did pretty good under a former West Virginia quarterback, Kurt Tignetti, uh, who's you know done fantastic since going to James Madison 33-5 and prior to joining the fun belt, Sun Belt. Uh, how are, how are you feeling about James Madison? I know this is a team that you're always excited to talk about. Yeah. You know, I just think sometimes, you know, we've seen in recent years, some teams have more success making that jump from the FBS to FCS level than others. I think this is a team that it was always pretty clear was going to be able to navigate that jump easier than most, just because, you know, big school in a decent recruiting state, like they've got, you know, they've got a lot of potential there. Um, we're a really good team last year in their first year in the Sun Belt. Uh, they were East Division co-champs, would have represented the East Division in the conference championship game by virtue of a 47-7 absolute beatdown over Coastal in the last game of the regular season. Uh, But they were ineligible, so they didn't get to do that. Unfortunately, they're ineligible again this year. They applied for a waiver with the NCAA, which that got denied, which is really lame. I hate that rule. The transition rule sucks. We need to get rid of it, Um, especially when you've got a team that's good enough to beat up on, you know, good G5 teams like JMU did last year. But with that being said, this is a good football team, so I'm still going to talk about them. And, you know, I think that, you know, you lose you lose your starting quarterback in Todd Santeo. You're bringing in a guy in Jordan McLeod who started at UCF, or sorry, USF earlier in his career, transferred to Arizona, um, didn't really play much at Arizona the last two years, so you're kind of hoping you can get something more out of him there. I still think, though, in an East Division in the Sun Belt that just has a lot of questions, I, I do think that this is probably the, the best team in it, you know, who actually represents the division? I don't know um, because it's going to be probably Coastal or something like that or Georgia Southern or App State um, because, like I said, JMU is not eligible. But with that being said, this is still a really good team that I think is probably going to be in the 8, 9, 10 win range. We're definitely going to have to keep our eyes on them. And like you said, I, I agree with you. I hate the rule, the transition rule. I mean, if this team in their first year, second year, are good enough to represent the conference, let them do it. Um and I know and maybe it's this is the way of keeping people from jumping from FCS to FBS, but I still don't like the rule. I mean, we have the one-time waiver for transfers. Why not add a uh, one-time waiver? Let them jump up. Uh, next up, let's go to the Mountain West, Boise State. Uh, this is interesting because after year one of the Andy Avalos era, I was like, this guy is probably on his way out. Uh, you know, he's the guy that replaced Brian Harson. When he went to Auburn and totally just dropped a bomb on that program, uh, but he was, but 
Andy Abbas went ten and four last year, went to Frisco Bowl, and all of a sudden, the Boise State Broncos are fun to watch again. Yeah, he, Andy Avila shifted the narrative here very quickly um, in, a, in a positive way. They start last season pretty tough. They make an offensive coordinator change midseason. Uh, they bring in Dirk Cutter, a longtime NFL OC, who was on the staff in an off-field role. He comes in, finishes out the year as interim. Uh, this offseason, they brought in a new guy. They brought in uh, – what's I his name? Sorry. Uh, Bush, ha- Bush Hamden. Bush Hamden. He was the Missouri quarterback coach before. And, you know, he's got a really talented guy to work with in Taylor Green, a guy who finished out the year last year, really impressed, was a big reason for the 10-4 and season that they ultimately had. Um, And, you know, they enter this season, you know, it went from, wow, is Andy Avalos going to get fired in year two to this might be the best team in the Mountain West this year. I think it's pretty clearly either them or Fresno State, who uh, Fresno beat them in the Mountain West Championship last year. I think there's a good chance we see a rematch of that game this time around, but Boise's a really interesting team to watch. Um, you know, I think that they're probably going to take a leap from that 10-4. and four. They might be even better this year. You, you're right about that. Uh, the only thing I wish, and I know a lot, I get a hate for this, I just wish they would change that blue field because I hate it so much. But uh, <laughs> I like I mean, it, I, personally. I, I, see, I'm usually on an island by myself on that. <laughs> That's my only gripe here with Boise State, but, you know, fun team to watch. Uh, Offensively, it just seems like whoever's running that program has a high-powered offense ready to rock and roll. Uh, All right, so stepping away, we're going to talk Tom Herman. Holy cow, this is the first time since pretty sure uh, since Texas beat Colorado uh, (laughs) in the Alamo Bowl, that a beatdown in that game. Uh, that we're going to be talking about the fact that Tom Herman is back on the sideline and his quarterback in that game, at least in the second half, Casey Thompson is joining him. Uh, how excited are you about FAU and Tom Herman? Uh, it's got to be the – is this going to be the second rendition of Lane Kiffin at FAU? I, I think there's a really good chance that that's how this plays out. I mean, if Tom Herman can win here quickly, I think he'll be able to segue that into something better pretty fast, um, like Lane Kiffin did. Look, I just really like this move. I think, you know, the, the, the Willie Taggart hire to replace Lane Kiffin, I think was good in theory. Like, I think, the, I think the process behind that decision was good. I mean, Willie's a Florida guy. He has a good track record of rebuilding, you know, kind of more of a group of five programs. It just didn't really work out for whatever reason. Um, he just never really seemed that into that job and just not never a lot of excitement there. I think that the Tom Herman move is interesting. You know, he obviously a guy that did not jump right into a, another job or go to the Nick Saban school for wayward coaches. You know, he went to the NFL, kind of hung around, learned for a couple of years, decided to jump back in, obviously, at FAU, which I think he naturally sees as a good opportunity to do what uh, Lane Kiffin just did a couple years ago and kind of get back to coaching major college football. You know, I will Casey say this. Tom- yeah, what's up? Living at Boca Raton is not a bad deal either. Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And where is he? Been? He was in Chicago for like a year, at least a year in Chicago. Yeah, I don't know where he was last year. Yeah. Analyst, he was like, like an, he was like an offensive analyst, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so he comes in and Brandon Casey Thompson, a guy who's experienced, you know, dug into the couch cushions and found another year of eligibility. So he's sticking around. I like it. I mean, I think that, you know, like we've talked about, you know, they're obviously uh, joined, joined the American this year. 
Uh, I think it's going to be tough in that conference in year one, just because there's, you know, like we talked about some really good teams, but you know, outside of the, you know, the top teams and maybe SMU, like we talked about, uh, you know, maybe like East Carolina is a team that could be in that mix, but I think FAU is right up there and maybe could be pushing into that second tier this year. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting to see Tom Herman back on the sidelines. It's going to be interesting to see him at the, in the American. Obviously he uh, had some experience with that when he was at Houston and he was beating teams like Oklahoma, uh, which made him, such a household name that he ended up in Texas. It, but it does make me wonder, and this is totally off topic, but it makes me wonder if Tom Herman – what would have happened if Tom Herman would have took that LSU job and not the Texas job? Uh, you know, kind of a butterfly ripple effect there. But uh, LSU probably has one fewer national title. Probably. Probably. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Our final topic on this show where we're more discussing – the group of five this week. Uh, we have San Diego State for uh, whatever reason. The whole we're leaving the Mountain West. We're not leaving the Mountain West. Uh, all it turned out to be is they had to pay some legal fees uh, yeah. for the Mountain West to get back in. Uh, so I think this is certainly we're going to want to keep our eyes on it just for that, just for just for that narrative of leaving. We're not leaving. What happens when the Pac-12 comes calling again, if they come calling again? Uh, they're going to be a team to watch. I yeah, think. and I think – yeah, I agree. And I think I think the Pac-12 calling again is more of a when than an if, um, you know, especially whenever – eventually, because one day they will get a media deal done. I feel pretty confident making that declarative statement that at some point there will be a media deal in place. And when that day comes, they're probably going to start turning their eyes towards San Diego State, maybe like SMU. Um, but it's going to be funny when they lose Colorado and, and Coach Prime. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. You know, for San Diego State, it, you know, obviously coming back to the Mountain West at least for this year, you know, the Mountain West is threatening them with seventeen million dollar exit fee. Uh, obviously, like it worked out to not nearly that. Those lawyer fees were a drop in the bucket, relatively. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting part of this team on the field. I think, honestly, it's a little bit less interesting. Um, you know, Brady Hoke has has built a consistent team here. There's no doubt about that. You know, they had a good peak in 2021. They win 12 games um, last year. They fall off. They run it back with a lot of the same pieces this year. But I, I don't know. None of it really is too inspiring to me. You know, this is a pretty classic Brady Hoke kind of a ground and pound physical team. I just don't know if that excites me as much as Boise or even what Fresno can do, you know, even losing Jake Hayner. Um, I, yeah, I think they're to me just not quite there. Um, and I don't know if Brady Hoke is the long-term answer here, especially if you have designs on joining the power five. We have seen the Brady Hoke show in the power five. You can ask them all about it in Ann Arbor. It was not great. Uh, but yeah, when you look at, What's going on in that conference? And, you know, who is the big dogs there? I just don't see them overtaking them. And uh, Brady Hoke, like you said, he had one good year. One big year, I should say, uh, mm -hmm. there in San Diego. But, again. And I think they're a lot more likely to look like the 7-6 and six team than they are to look like the 12-2 and two team this year, just personally. I – don't disagree with you there. I, I think when you look at who they're going up against, and like you said, when you look at that roster, it's not inspiring to 
to think that they can overcome a Fresno um, or a resurgent Boise State team. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the College 12 Pack. Uh, for Tyler, I'm Patrick. We'll see you next week.